0: Welcome to the AquaDemia podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this advocate session episode of the AquaDemia podcast where we take 10-ish minutes with Jamie Wright, the editor of our online magazine, the Responsible Seafood Advocate. How's it going, Jamie? Right, right. Welcome back. This Thank is you. hey, episode 10 of these. Get out. We hit double digits. We did it. We did it, everyone! Very exciting. All right, we have a few, a few specific articles to talk about this week. I think we're looking at three specific ones this this week. Yeah. No,
1: yeah, yeah. I need to say something on a podcast. I need to use my voice. Well, they can't see you. <laughs> so when I was nodding. am <laughs> the only one that. When can I was see you. my head, fortunately
0: the, for everyone else, I'm the one. I'm the only one that can see. You. Um, just kidding. So yeah, let's talk about uh, what's coming up. There's something coming up. Uh,
1: well, let's, let's talk about what's up there now. We have a story about the B word. The B word. The B word. So, you know, there, as you know, there are many key issues concerning commercial fishing. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, warming temperatures, ocean acidification, pollution. A lot of them, you know, fishermen can do relatively little about. Mm-hmm, right. But there are others that they can. Uh, harvesters and others connected to the industry, they can do something about it. And that's, one of them is bycatch. So, you know, according that's the, to- That's the B word. That's the B, B word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So according to the um, World Wildlife Foundation, bycatch makes up 40% of the fish catch worldwide. So that's, you know, two out of every five pounds of fish was not intended to be caught. That's 38 million metric tons, they say, including 300,000 small whales and dolphins, 250,000 endangered turtles, 300,000 seabirds. It's, it's a problem. Um, one of our writers, Jen Jen Milner, who's uh contributed to The Advocate for a few years now, she took a fresh look at bycatch reduction, but not you know through stacks and stacks of statistics like that, but through the eyes of a solution provider. So this week we featured the work of uh Safety Net Technologies. They're a UK company. They're offering underwater video cameras, the catch cam. Um, underwater LED lights and environmental sensors, coupled with machine learning, to pre- to provide more pre- precision in fishing. So, the idea is here is not just to you know protect fish, or seabirds or marine mammals, uh, but to make fishing more predictable and profitable. So you hear this a lot, you know, like a business has to be profitable in order to be sustainable. Typically, you hear that with aquaculture, but it applies to fishing as well. Mm-hmm. Now, what I what I like about Safety Net besides CEO Dan Watson, who I met recently, more than the technology, it's the approach. I'm quoting Tom Rossiter, the company's sales lead, who talks about working closely with fishermen in product development. So a fisherman's world, he said, is, quote, probably a lot more complex than our own. If we want to try to achieve things, we've got to understand that better. If not, we're just pushing water uphill. So, you know, that that sentiment was echoed by another person we spoke to, Petri Sironin, um seafood consulting group, he said that we may have invented fancy technologies and tools, but often fishermen don't want to use them as such. Uh, He said that, you know, implementation, uh, acceptance of bycatch reduction technology, you know, it, it would improve by popping that bubble that scientists and researchers often work in. So meet the end user earlier in the process. That's the takeaway message. And it's a good one. Very cool, and that
0: article is as I always are linked in the show notes. So make sure you go check that out. Uh, what's coming up?
1: What's on deck? Wind. So uh, we're going to be delving into a bit of a tricky issue here. Uh, another fishing story regarding like this potential collision course between offshore wind power and commercial fishing. Um, you know, I'm always fascinated by this scenario, Sean. Like when businesses. And when business and sustainability collides, like in the, in the business we're talking about is making huge strides in sustainability like fishing. You know, these, these, this business has already been transformed by regulations and restrictions. And, you know, we, we saw something similar just recently with Pebble Mine Saga. So this that, that proposed mine was going to produce copper, gold, other metals needed for a, a surge in electric vehicles. You know, which to many is a big advancement in sustainability. Mm -hmm. But at what price do we extract these materials? different side of it, right. The largest and most profitable salmon fishery in the world is right next door. So I think we can all agree that hopefully the right decision was made in that case. But it's like, you know, we have one sustainability interest actually competing with another. Right.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. So this development of wind power has some headwinds to face, Uh, if you'll pardon the expression. (laughs) Always intend your puns. This is a pun-safe environment, is it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, we, we know there's a risk to birds, you know, whether the wind farms are on land or offshore, but offshore, there there are many more risks, including noise, you know, which is known to be harmful to marine mammals, those sensitive marine mammals. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen some really cool designs for offshore wind turbines that would have an aquaculture component. Oh, interesting. Say like a net pens arranged at the base. Oh, cool. That I met person recently who is developing that technology. Um, you know, and I like that idea in theory, um, some really promising out there's, ideas out there. But again, you know, it seems like every great sustainability solution there's usually a catch or some sort of trade-off that we need right. to make, which is a huge bummer. Yeah. Now, regarding our wind story, which centers on the Revolution Wind Project off the coast of Rhode Island, fishermen in the area are not happy about it, but <laughs> no. an, an 84,000 acre wind farm on their fishing grounds. Uh, to say the very least. So we spoke to a marine resource economist as well who questions the regulatory framework and the permitting process about offshore wind. Maybe this is moving a little too fast. He said there's really no recourse for industries like fishing that have potential conflicts with this type of water use. Right. Um, you know, I don't want to spoil too much. It's an important story. Uh, this particular wind farm is slated to begin next summer. I was going to say break ground, but it's in the water. So you don't. Break water. Break wind. Do you break wind? <laughs> you, you didn't miss. You nope. Didn't miss. Um, <laughs> I'm right I, there with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I can say that it's an emotional use, uh, an emotional story for yeah. many fishermen. We spoke to one who's near the end of his career, his fishing career, and he really wanted to leave a legacy. But he fears that you know fishermen have a waning voice in matters concerning, concerning ocean access and things of that nature. It's just they're not in a really good position, strong bargaining. Interesting. I'm excited
0: to read that. That sounds really super interesting. Um, are you ready to go back in time?
1: Let's go back four years in time. All right. What do so we got? This, four years ago this week, I was in Thailand uh, for the final SeaWeb Seafood Summit. This was an event that I helped uh, develop program for a while um, when I was at Diversified Communications and Seafood Source. Um, I helped Ned Daly, Don Martin, and uh, the SeaWeb team create a strong agenda a few years prior. And... You know, this was the, at the end of the five-year run of events and the final conference took place in Bangkok. So you remember how earlier how I talked about safety net technologies and how they found that some, you know, they found reluctance on part of some fishermen to adopt new technologies? mean yep. remember how we often hear that aquaculture is always so much more willing to embrace change? We talk about that all the time. We do. Show, yeah. well, well, in Thailand, the whole idea of adopting shrimp feeds without fish meal or fish oil in them, uh, the traditional ingredients, that was not catching on at hmm. the time. Uh, according to the sustainability director for Thai Union at the time, Ms. Darian McBain, she's no longer with Thai Union, I should add, but at this event in Bangkok, she made the point that, quote, by and large, shrimp farmers in Thailand wanted nothing to do with these, these new feeds you know, containing algal oil, single-cell proteins. I'm going to quote her for a sec. She says, if it doesn't smell like fish, they don't think it's appropriate. We put tuna byproducts in the feed normally. If you're replacing fish meal and fish oil, farmers say they don't want that product. Their concern is growth rate and getting return on the shrimp they've seeded their ponds with. Right. And so, you know, Thai Union also had used Calista's feed kind product, and and she said that you know we've proven the case, we've got it to market. We did. They need someone to buy it. We have a few end customers interested, but no interested, but no one's buying. it. Huh. So you know, she made the point it wasn't necessarily Tai Union's job to quote. You know, educate every farmer, farm by farm, on the virtues of novel feed ingredients. But I, 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 whose job is it then? You know, it's a question. Like, who's someone has to, you know, educate small scale farmers and you know the end users of their own products. So, um, it was it was a really interesting conversation, and that was a really good event, the sea Whips Seafood Summit. I, I do miss it. I'll tell you one thing, Sean, that I don't miss, and that's Bangkok in June. <laughs> <laughs> the heat. That was pretty hot. Yeah. That's about the hottest I've ever experienced. Um, do we have any
0: updates kind of on that story? Do you, like, do you know, has that been better adopted in the last couple of years than it was at the time of, that you did the story?
1: You know, that's a good question. I haven't really, that's a probably, a, that's a good- Something to look into. Yeah, that's something I should look into. I definitely think it's it's growing, you yeah. know, but like in Thailand specifically, I don't know how much yeah. Just because progress they it was, made.
0: You know, it, it was an interesting and important enough topic to write about it at the time. So I'd be curious how in this specific scenario how that's changed
1: Uh, these days it's worth looking into cool
0: well do you got anything else for us i do not right on well as always the links to all of these articles are in the show notes and we want to just thank you so much for listening and jamie we'll talk to you soon thanks Sean.